Good evening. So um, for those who don't know who I am, I'm Ernst, and um, I'm filling in for Pastor Mike, who is, I think, in Tahoe, and indeed celebrating 30 years of marriage, which is pretty, pretty awesome. So I, um, I hope that he's uh, indeed going to get some rest, and um, I'm just happy to... Uh, to, uh, to fill in and um, to share with you tonight, um, because tonight's sermon um, is about me. And um, this is uh, um, always an interesting topic for me, mirror, mirror on the wall. And, you know, when I'm thinking of Mike and Michelle, uh, but especially Mike, I see somebody that is has such kingdom focus. He uh, doesn't walk around life looking back at his life. That's in the past. I'm not going to talk about it anymore. I'm actually going to hide it because I'm a new person. And that's all I got. Um, and that's not the case at all with him. Um, he doesn't hide what God has done for him and remembers what, he's, what he was like before and, and, and what God can do for all of us. And it's a, it's a very effective testimony, isn't it? And then there's me. <laughs> That's a different story. Um, so as, as some of you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a tall guy. I'm, 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 I'm loud. Um, I, um, I'm borderline obnoxious at times. Um, I tend to fill up a room with my presence. I like to look good, smell good. I like to, I like the spotlight, y'all. I do, I do, um, and and I I, I kind of stand out, and I and I know that, and it's not just because of uh, my accent. Um, but, but, you know, in, in, in a way, I, I kind of like it. You know, I like to stand out. And, and sometimes I jokingly call it that I suffer from slight narcissism. Mirror, mirror on the wall. So even, even if, if, as I was preparing for this sermon tonight, um, I had to think about and remember that this is a spotlight that's not on me. Amen? Thank you. Thank you. All right. You're still with me. But this is a sermon about God. And, um, you know, in my pride, in my vanity, um, I can get lost sometimes. And I don't necessarily think that it's, it's a sin in my life. But... Um, I think as a Christian, I should maybe be more focused on showing Christ in me rather than me. But I'm of the flesh, and I want to see and show people how awesome I am, how skilled I am, um, how successful I am, and certainly not knowing my flaws. I hide them. So, so let me render that statement for you, and you'll get a, a sense of where I'm going. But if you render that statement I just made, it's a, 
it's a confrontational rendering because in a way it states that my pride wants others to look up to me, to be envious of me, maybe even to worship me. It's very self-centered. It's definitely not Jesus-centered. And we, and we like to worship. We're people that like to worship. We like to worship our heroes, don't we? Anyone watched yesterday's Super Bowl? Oof. Man, there were, there were some, some heroes on that field. You know, they were, they, these guys were good, and we look up to them. And that's got to be one of my girls. Um, so, but, but we do. We, we like to worship our heroes, athletes, movie stars, um, pop stars. The, the, the rich and successful in the world. And, and since we're all being honest here tonight, I kind of want that too. Am I alone here? So, so here's the scope for tonight. We, we are not created to be worshipped. We are created to worship. Because our bodies, we can't handle to be worshipped. And maybe some people here or listening have had a brief moment of being worshipped, being looked up. And um, it can very easily become very poisonous in our lives. Um, it's, it, to be worshipped is almost like to, to give somebody like some nuclear power to hold on to. Our bodies simply cannot handle it. They, it, we cannot handle that kind of power. So what happens? It distorts our lives, and it will eventually break us. We're, 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 we're not able to do it. So in our efforts as humans, as we reach for the stars, we often have a shift towards self-glorification, which will most often lead to our downfall. So, so here's the opportunity for tonight. If we get our feet planted in the will of God, working together with the people of God, doing the work of God for God, something absolutely amazing can happen in your life. Absolutely amazing. So I want to take you now to Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. We're going to read about the Tower of Babel. Now the whole world had one language and one common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we can make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down, verse 5, to see the city and the tower, the people and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. 
Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. Verse 8. So the Lord scattered them from there all over the earth and they stopped building the city. That's why it was called Babel. Because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the earth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we thank you, Father, for meeting us here. We pray that you'll open up our eyes and ears, Lord, to, uh, to receive from you individually and collectively. Father, we commit this time into your hand. Give me the words to speak that you want to have said. And we love you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. The Tower of Babel. So here's a, a little, you know, historic uh, um, backdrop on that. So, so this, this ancient empire of the Babylonians was in Mesopotamia, which is um, modern-day Iraq. And, and it was actually founded here by Noah's descendants, his children, grandchildren. They founded this place. And uh, this was, it's important to understand this. Is, this was before Moses. This was before God gave the law. To his people. And, and, and most historians consider this Tower of Babel a legend. There's no historic evidence that this tower ever existed. But in that era, people there built a lot of what they call ziggurats. And those are gigantic temples that they used to build uh, to, to, to glorify God. And um, there's still quite a few out there actually, but there's, there's, there's no record of one that is so massive that, it, it, uh, that everybody remembers it or at least have written about it. So we can be for sure if this tower actually existed. But one thing we do know exists is to babble, isn't it? Mirror, mirror on the wall. To babble. I live in a house with I got to be careful how I say this, with little girls. And there is plenty of that. And at times I feel held captive by it even. So, but they're here and I love them. So, uh, but let's look at this text. And there's a few interesting uh, observations when we read this, because most of us know this story, know about the Tower of Babel, but, but there's a few things that really stood out to me that I want to camp on in the next Hopefully, less than half an hour. Um, I tend to babble as well, so um, I'm trying to keep this in time. But um, it speaks of a common language. God created us with a common language, equal and in sync with each other. And then we see that we're able to, to, to do great accomplishments because God likes that. Nothing is impossible. And we see, see and we read that people are, are building a city and a, and a massive tower in it. So one of the things that stands out to me is that God came down to see it. He actually came down to see it. And he, I like to believe that he still does manifest it, of course, in the Holy Spirit. But, but he's, he, he speaks also, let us go down. Who's us? And I had, to, I had to think about that. Who is us? And it, maybe, maybe he's referring, the writer's referring to, to heavenly beings, creatures, angels, anything could very well be. I like to believe that 
Um, we're talking here about the, the, the triune God that is plural. Let us come down. And we read that the tower is built to make a name for ourselves. For whom? For ourselves. And then we see God come down, confuse the language, disabling perfect communication. And he, he scatters us. He scatters us all over the world. And, and God creates distance between his people. So let's be very clear what this story is about. This story is not about a tower, a gigantic tower. This story is about the condition of our hearts. These people started to build a tower for themselves, putting God on the shelf. They're hyper-focused on doing a good thing, an amazing thing, but losing sight of the great thing. And they were trying to keep God's blessings to themselves, to build a city and a tower. So if you want to experience the, 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 and, and, and the heights of heaven, and you do that without God, it's just not going to work. And this can be maybe not for you building a tower in your backyard, but it can be building a tower as in the pursuit of money, the pursuit of stuff, the pursuit of wealth, status, your career, church. Churches also can be part of that. You know, in church, we can hear the gospel and we can think, how great will it be, will, or how great will I be in the kingdom of God? Or what is God going to do with my life? How great can I be? Instead of how great God is. So church is not exempt of this. And, and I'm not condemning any of these pursuits um, unless they become a tower in your life. A fixed on doing something amazing to make a name for yourself. So what do we read? We read that God came down. He observed the effort. Did God really have to come down? No, God didn't have to come down. He knew what was up, what was going on, but he came down anyway. And he, he, he sees people doing amazing things. That didn't, doesn't he like that in our lives? Doesn't he want that in our lives? Does he want us to live kind of mediocre kind of life? Absolutely not. He wants us to reach for the stars and, and reach full potential. And do amazing things. But God also knows the heart of man. And he felt that he needed, needed to come down. And I think clearly he was right here. So, um, because when we try to do amazing things, try to accomplish amazing things, we have a tendency in our broken bodies to bend it towards evil. To bend it towards self, to bend it away from God. And we see this all throughout history. Look at the many empires of the past. Great empires like the Roman Empire, the Persian Empire, 
the Ottoman Empire, the Incas, the Mayans, the ancient Greek, the Egyptians, the Dutch. Nope, that's not one of them, by the way. <laughs> Sorry. But, but all the amazing things that we've been able to achieve, you know, we've been able to cre create nuclear power, which is absolutely incredible source of energy. Um, but even little things that we don't think about, like loudspeakers. It's amazing. It's amazing. The internet. Riddled with amazing information, but also absolutely distorted with the most evil things you can even imagine. Rockets we invented to explore the heavens, but those same rockets carry bombs, nuclear bombs. We invent medicines to heal people, but that they've also bended towards drugs that can absolutely destroy our lives. We have a tendency to bend things towards evil. And even this Swedish guy at one point, he invented dynamite, which is the Greek word for power. And he invented it to do something really good, to, to help with mining and stuff like that. But his invention turned into something that was used to kill, death, and destruction in warfare. This Swedish guy, his name was Alfred Nobel. You may know that name because the Nobel Prize is named after him. An unbelievable feat, an unbelievable scientist. And this prize is still given out today um, for, for scientists and recognition of great inventions and, and, and uh, scientific achievements and life-altering works. So here's the first problem that God had when he came down and he saw this. They built a tower to climb themselves to heaven. Reach into the heavens without the glory of God. And of course they knew they weren't going to actually build a tower that was going to reach the heavens. But the heart was very clear here. It was... Men to elevate themselves over the rest, wasn't it? And it wasn't very inclusive. It was a city, a fortress with this big tower. making. So it wasn't very inclusive. It was to keep us there while the promise that God had made to Noah was that his descendants would scatter the earth. And here they were making a city to make a name for themselves. So again, we can reach for the heavens, but um, when we're not pairing it with God and the pursuit of Christ, it will never work. And the second problem God had here is that it was a tower that was built to make a name for themselves and not for God. And, and don't be mistaken, this was not a watchtower. This was not meant to glorify God. It was an attention-seeking a separating and seclusion from the rest of the world. Look how awesome we are, prideful and egocentric. To make a name for themselves, self-aimed instead of to God. Pride. Infested their hearts. Pride, the P word. There's multiple, multiple mentions of pride 
in the Bible. You can find it all over. And pride, in a sense, is maybe even an act of atheism because you think that you can do something without God. You did something in your life. So we read God came down, and what's the first thing he did? He confused us in language. And this is giving us the great, com- the, the, the great problem of communication that we still deal with today. When we communicate really well together, we can do amazing things. But we can't because we're terrible at it. And again, God wants us to do amazing things, but not without him. We're designed to build towers and do amazing things to enjoy his gifts and his abilities to bless us and to bless him, but without the the pursuit of God, it leads to confusion, division, and destruction. And communication still to this day. What's the mother of all divorces? It's probably confusion. Little tiffs in the house. Communication problem. All the way up to big wars around the world. Communication problems. And and communication is not just speaking the same language. Communication is not just using words with each other. There's a lot of other factors take place in that. The tone of your voice, right? I think the, 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 the volume of your voice, your body language when using those words, and your timing, of course. So, so this communication, it's super, super complex. Let me give you an example. Excuse me? Excuse me? What? What? How are you doing? How are you doing? <laughs> right? You, you know, we, we, we go many different directions with it. Communication, we, it's complex. It's not that easy. We have a tendency to bend. What's good to evil? Even unintentionally. And there's a, a guy, his name is St. Bernard Clairvaux. He said, the road to hell is paved with good intentions, even when you don't mean it. It can happen. And the second thing God does is he scattered us. Distance will clearly um, complicate our communication with each other. When we live in a community together, we communicate well, we can live effective lives together. Um, It's very difficult to do things together when you're far apart, isn't it? So the Babylonians, boy, did they have it wrong or what, right? Don't be so quick to judge. Because that's something we're very good at. But aren't we all at times in the past or maybe even now trying to build a tower for ourselves? I'm the only one here. That's so cool. But I know I do. I do. I, I, I try to make a tower out of myself. I suffer from pride in my life. 
publicly, you know, announce and try to show off who I am. And not just me, I think we all have these tendencies. Even Jesus' disciples in Luke 22 had a dispute among them whom of them was the greatest. There are over 58 references in the Bible of pride. I think it counts for all of us. So, in a sense, um, this, this pride is not like being proud of, you know, when one of my girls hits the ball or something like that or gets a, a straight A at, at school. No, it's, that's not like it. Um, it's an arrogant kind of pride. Um, it's preferring self-will over, the, over God's will. And this will top the list of deadly sins eventually. My Tower of Babel, I mentioned it before, is I want to be heard. I want to be seen. I want to be looked up to. I want to be perfect. I want to be loved. Even today in my meetings at work, you know, there's, I want to be heard. I really fight the urge not to say something, not to be heard. It's difficult. And especially before, my, before I found my faith, which is pretty much 10 years ago exactly, I was sitting at that chair. One row in front of my, my family. I should have moved one row up. It would have been real cool, you know? Um, but, you know, when I, when I lived in Carmel, I had a house out there, and a, 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 a super pimped up. Can I say that in church? <laughs> Car, nice clothes, super nice clothes. I, I was living the life, and I was, I, was, I was really trying to really be more successful than I really was. Pride, aiming for personal greatness over the greatness of God. Look at me. I've changed, but it's still there. And it's, I think, often not meant for something bad, but it certainly is missing the mark of Jesus. Amen? Amen. So, and we, read, we get warnings as well in the Bible. In, in 1 John chapter 2, we read, Do not love the world or anything of the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and here it is, the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whomever does the will of God lives forever. This self-exhortation may feel good for a brief moment. It may even satisfy you for a brief moment, but we're designed for a different kind of satisfaction, and it's not the satisfaction of self. C.S. Lewis said, pride leads to every other vice. It's the complete anti-God state of mind. So he, he, in a sense, calls it diabolical. The greater the rise, the greater the fall. So what does pride look like? It's not looking or not seeking God in your struggles and try to do it all yourself. Thinking the blessings on your lives are because of your own talents. Worrying what others think of you all the time. Waiting for praise from others. Feeling threatened by those who are better than you at something. Desiring attention from others frequently. 
constantly fighting, fight, finding fault with other people. Pretending. Lying about who you are or what you have. But also thriving or demanding perfection from yourself. Pride is ultimately self-preoccupation and thinking that the world surrounds or the world turns around me. So how does this pride, this deliberate or undeliberate sometimes pride, manifest in our lives? It's, it's this elevated self-perception, arrogance. It can be at work. It can be even when you're playing sports. You're cheating, elevating yourself over the team, setting ridiculous expectations. That's pride. At school, constantly comparing yourself to others, trying to lift yourself up, cheat maybe. Worship performance. That's a form of pride. And in friendships, with family, sometimes we have a tendency to lie, bend the truth, pretend, even to strangers. Done that in the past too, where you meet a complete stranger in the airplane. I just made up a story and it was good. I was awesome. And I walked out of the plane and said, boy, I'm a loser. My God, I don't even know this person. What's wrong with me? It can lead to false testimonies. What am I going to do if I ever run into that person again? I better have a real good memory, which God didn't give us for a reason. Maybe that's it. But, but at, at the root of the lies is, is, of course, a very deep insecurity of our identity. That's the root of pride. You're just not good enough as is. So it's pointing inwards, and it can easily morph into self-glorification. And here's the problem. When you allow this to happen, and this is where we pay attention, Pride will block several things in your life. It will block learning because you won't get any smarter listening to yourself, okay? I had to learn that too. It blocks connection because how are you able to, how can you connect with people if you fake who you are, if you're not real with that person? It can block your future because you're trying to build something on a foundation that is brittle as it can be. It blocks progress in your life. Because how can your mind adopt something new where you're not allowing it in? And it blocks God. You don't need him, don't you? I got this. How did that go for you? So it, it, this pride that we all, I think, in different ways deal with, um, prevents you from finding and accepting your true identity. And this is really what this sermon is about. Mirror, mirror on the wall. Who is the greatest of them all? When you're not securing your identity, the enemy is convincing you that you're not good enough, Unless you have a million dollars in your bank account, unless you look a certain way, unless you drive a certain car, you have a certain girl on your, on your arm. 
It's basically a conditional acceptance of you. Let that sink in. Pride lead to a conditional acceptance of you. You feel good about yourself on the, with the condition that. It's very, very, very toxic, y'all. And as I started today, this sermon is for me. This is something I struggle with. And in this struggle, we got to be careful. Because in a sense, when we let that pride take the wheel, we're actually passing the steering wheel over to the enemy. And what do you think he's going to steer you towards? More doubts, more insecurity, more frustration, more distance, more separation to destruction. It separates you from others. But before this prideful behavior was recognized by God, we were really good. Things were good, and we were able to do amazing things. If you look at that verse 6, if as one people speaking the same language they've begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. We can do amazing things. So what do we got to do? In James 4, we read, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. He will show you his purpose. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, he will help you achieve this. So what's the antidote? Humility. That's the number one thing. He cannot lift you up. He cannot transform you if you fake who you are. So how do we combat it? Is understanding who you are in God's eyes, not of the world. He created you. His opinion of you matters and not others. So that humility is realizing and understanding that you can't do this life alone. And as I often say on this stage, it's okay not to be okay. It's not okay to stay that way. So confess that to God. It's not a surprise to him. He knows. He knows your doubts. He knows your shortcomings. But he doesn't want that to be a burden for you. Because his, his yoke is light. We read in Matthew 11, right? Secondly, give God the credit. Give God the credit, not you. Recognize the gifts that he did give you. Depend on his providence. Cherish the gospel. Cherish the gospel and accept his forgiveness. And that's difficult. It's difficult to forgive, but sometimes it's also difficult to receive that forgiveness. It's his opinion that matters and not others. And in service to others. So what do we do? We adopt the right view of the world and understand what the world is and what it's not. We revise false self-beliefs about ourselves that we've heard over the years. Acknowledge, confess, and repent from what's happened in the past. Defend against spiritual attacks. Flee from temptation. And expect him to come down, because he will. If you seek him, if you invite him, allow him to take over the reins of your life, he's going to come down. And it starts with prayer. 
Because in, when we're in frequent contact with the master, the master himself with Jesus, we can become Jedis in this world. We really can. We can do amazing things, kingdom-focused efforts that will allow us and allow you to make a difference. Find joy in it for something that really matters. And isn't that really what we're all kind of looking for, to matter? So my Tower of Babel tells me, look at me, but it should say, look at him. In 2 Corinthians 9, we read, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Let our lives be enriched by God. Enriched, like enriched uranium. Let let our bodies be enriched by it and, and given incredible powers to have a nuclear impact on the world in service to his people. So here's the last thing I want you to notice as I'm wrapping up. We read in, 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 uh, in, in uh, verse 5 that the Lord came down, and that's a showstopper. It, really, I circled it, and I said, whoa, what do you mean he came down? Let me ask you, what does he find if he does and when he does in your life? And that's a sobering thought. What, what will he find when he comes down? The only greatness that should be ever on display in our lives the greatness of God. And any of our good works we do to shine more glory on him. And there's no room for personal significance at all. In a life with Jesus, we can find this true identity. It doesn't travel like the wind, but it's rooted, firmly planted in a life with God, in his will, in love for others, in his glory. And I can assure you from this spot here that your desire for significance and security is fully, fully met in Christ. We don't have to elevate ourselves to the heavens. We really don't. Because God is not far from us. We read in Acts. He will come down from the heavens to us. And he already has in the most significant way on the cross. He came down. He loved us so much that he gave his only begotten son. That famous verse. He came down for you. He came down for you. He came down for you. He came down. He came down. And here's what I like to believe. He came down to me, for me, about 10 years ago. But I think he will still do that. You know, of course, God is beyond time, space, matter. I like to believe that God will, Jesus will go back to that cross for you. He will choose to go back to that cross for you. To save you. There's no prideful ounce in that statement. So we don't need to do that. We just need to hold on to God. So should we be prideful? No. 
Should we be confident? Absolutely. So, uh, usually, if you wanna wanna come up, I wanna I wanna close out. And there's a big difference between pride and confidence. By His blood, we have been redeemed and given a new life. So we live in confidence for what He has done for us, confident in His promises, and boast of what He has done. Because we can't even come close to it. Jesus wasn't bothered by pride when he hung on that cross. He's right here with us. And when you call him, Emmanuel, God with us. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you, Father, for meeting us here tonight. Thank you for speaking to us. Thank you for being so close to us, Lord. It's us, Lord, that feel so far away from you at times, but you're always there. And help us understand that that truth is so real. Help us stand firm, Lord, on who we are in your eyes. And Father, help us remember what you have done for us. And Lord, Help us remember for what you will do in our lives. So we love you, Lord, and we thank you, and we commit the rest of the week into your hands. In Jesus' name, amen.